Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. This is, you are good. Thank you so much for listening. This is a feelings podcast about movies. I'm trying to figure out the best way to pithily talk about what we're going to dive into today. <laughs> we're going to talk about Fly Away Home. And I think that's the best. It speaks for itself. Because when you say that title, part of your audience is like, okay. And a smaller part of it is like, <gasps> and that's who this episode is for. Exactly. They're like, I'm going to go back to a very specific feeling and vibe that m- helped make me who I am today. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Jeff Daniels? I feel positively about Jeff Daniels. You know my taste. He's a big, dumb-looking, hunk of street guy. <laughs> I'm into it. What is it about Jeff Daniels' energy that uh, people like us love so much? Don't you think that Jeff Daniels always seems fundamentally like well-intentioned and yet hopeless? Like, <laughs> I think uh, like Arachnophobia is a great example of like a movie that succeeded in perhaps only, and then it knew exactly how to deploy Jeff Daniels. <laughs> it did, and uh, and John Goodman also. We, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also just like the the big movies of the '90s were so simple by today's standards. You know, you would be like a, you would have a big blockbuster lined up, and you'd be like, "Get this." Jeff Daniels is afraid of spiders and he moves to a small town that becomes infested with giant spiders. Quite ironic, am I right? (laughs) Can you believe it? And Jeffrey Katzenberg is like, hire this man. (laughs) We need him in this coming of age film about birds and dead moms. Like, vibe-wise, what's happening in this movie, and why is it a movie that is so important to the people it's important to, do you think? I think that this movie is like a cross between an aimed-at-tween-girls, feeling-zy, magic-skates-type movie, and an IMAX movie about the Arctic. (laughs) It feels like a a movie made for teen girls by Attenborough. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. And there's some number of teen girls, myself among them, as a as a tw- younger than tween girl at the time that this came out, who really responded to it because, you know, it's like, and as Alana talks about in this episode, it's also a movie about a teen girl where her gender is really incidental to the story. Mm. And that's exciting. Why? Because you just don't get it very often. It's like one of those orange hostess cupcakes. You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Fly away home. What a great cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything that you'd like to add for the listener who's diving in? Especially, I guess maybe especially for the listener who is not as familiar with Fly Away Home. If you ever dreamed of being a mommy to wild animals, then this episode is for you. (laughs) Just like you, Alex, with Wheezy. (laughs) (laughs) Several listeners, by the way, several listeners, not just one listener. We have several listeners who have goose farms. And so this is really this is for our goose farm fam. (laughs) This is also for our goose farm fam. That should be a shirt, Alex. (laughs) And it's got a goose holding a little knife as the crest. (laughs) I'll get on in custom makeup. You know, and maybe if you're like an aspiring goose farmer. Yes. Um, All right. (laughs) Fly away home, everybody. 
So in case you are wondering, dear listener, who our goose farming <laughs> friends are, we have we have Kirsten at Hostel Valley Farm, which is in Maine, and uh, we're very grateful to Kirsten for listening, and uh, to Morgan Gold at Goldshaw Farm, which is in Vermont. Thank you so much for listening, friend. We have a couple uh, notes to tell you about before we dive fully into the episode. First... You Are Good is made possible by Knack Factory, which is a commercial and creative content video production company based in Portland, Maine, though it does work throughout these here United States. If you need video produced for your company, your message, your idea, whatever it may be, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. They are eager to talk with you. We're also made possible by your support at Patreon, patreon.com slash you are good. Thank you so much to the people who are giving over on Patreon and they are getting bonus episodes. I said we were going to start a Discord server over there and we're still going to. Someone offered to help me because they realize how uh, hapless and wayward I am. <laughs> so it's something we're going to get going ideally this week. And again, bonus episodes. We, we were going to put out a Cruella episode. But then we realized that it costs like 30 bucks to watch Cruella, even if you have Disney Plus. You need Plus Plus. Disney Plus 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 plus. So we didn't do that. We talked about the Fast and the Furious, the first movie instead. And that is the last bonus episode that we have out. We'll have another one out. I pitched in that episode that we do a bonus about Point Break. I hope we do that before diving into the future Fast and the Furious movies. I don't know what you can expect. I'm going to say the next one's going to be on Point Break and then we'll dive back into that series. We had, of course, Alana Massad on the show today. Very excited to talk with Alana about this beloved movie. Alana is the author of All My Mother's Lovers. And Alana just uh, writes a whole lot for a whole lot of publications. So you can find Alana on the Information Superhighway. Check the show notes for that. We put together a playlist of songs inspired by every episode. You can find that in the show notes as well. I think that's it for uh, for all the notes at the start of this episode. Thank you so much for bearing with us. Thank you for listening to You Are Good. We appreciate you. All right, let's do this. Let's fly away home. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed, or as our friend Anna Paquin would say, hey, 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 Alex, Alex, Alex. So, okay, yeah, we're getting right <laughs> into it. We're getting right into Fly Away Home, yes. which is a movie I always saw advertised on television when it came out and was not targeted to me, it felt like. I think they should have called it Never Cry Goose. <laughs> So, Sarah, we have a delightful special guest who is the reason that we are watching this movie uh-huh. in particular. Who do we have with us? Um, yes, we have a wonderful guest whose name I've never pronounced to her face before. Alana Massad, question mark. Perfect. Alana, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for watching the movie that I've been obsessed with for 15, 16 years. I'm so happy that you're obsessed with this movie. Before we fly away home, Sarah, do you want to let us know what this movie is about? Yes. This movie is like a cross between Save the Last Dance and Never Cry Wolf. It's incredible. I I love it. (laughs) And to put all my cards on the table, I grew up watching Never Cry Wolf, which is made by Carol Ballard, who directed this film and also The Black Stallion. And so Fly Away Home is about Anna Paquin playing a 13-year-old girl named Amy, whose mother 
played very briefly by Kristen Scott Thomas, who was also in The Horse Whisperer. (laughs) But anyway, her mom is killed in a car accident, and so she moves from New Zealand to Canada to live with her dad, Jeff Daniels, who is like a nutty inventor who would like in an abstract way to be a good parent, but doesn't really seem to be willing to put hours into it. And Dana Delaney is there, so that's always nice. Everything changes when Amy is distracted from her grief because some developers come and destroy some marshland. It's also like Watership Down. It's like so many things I grew up loving. It's, it's it, This movie feels like a stock made out of like 90s environmentalist kid media. It's incredible. <laughs> and so after some marshland is destroyed... <laughs> She finds some Canada goose eggs that the mom had to leave behind. And so she takes them home and hatches them and becomes the little teen mom of a bunch of goslings. And it's so great. And that's kind of the first major development. And then the second thing we have to figure out is like, oh, geese are migratory. And if they start flying and they don't know where to go, they're just gonna, they're not gonna know what to do. And so Oh my goodness, Jeff Daniels, you love flying. It seems like you and your daughter can find a way to collaborate out of mutual love for these geese and find a way to love and trust each other by making geese follow you to North Carolina in airplanes that you fly yourselves and the airplanes look like geese. And that's the movie. That's perfect. Alana, I grew up with movies that were very targeted to boys in one way like Ninja Turtles and Batman and then like and then teens get into shenanigans movies Mm -hmm. I'm curious about how there's a whole kind of person I can imagine who grew up with this movie with Fern Gully and I'm curious about like how one lands with this being their favorite childhood movie and what you think that says about you (laughs) oh god what does that say about me (laughs) Does it, I would say this is the same kind of child we've taxonomized before who, quote, eats apples by choice. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch Fern Gully, you know, like, I don't know why this was like my one big environmental weird movie. And what's interesting is that Anne- Anna Paquin as Amy is like so kind of genderless. Like, yeah, she's a girl, but she doesn't she's not made to do Mm. anything that's particularly girly in the ways that we're used to seeing in movies about girls. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why I loved it, because she just got to be a person. The girliest thing about her is her love of bucket hats. Right. (laughs) And not loving that dude standing in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, yes, understandably. (laughs) Rightfully so. Little dudes just love to pee together is my understanding. That's how we're taught to pee. It's just next to other men. (laughs) It's fucked up. Right. You get in a line with full grown men and you you take out your wiener. Like it really makes a lot of other stuff make sense in a way. It does. Also makes it so wildly sad that men can't talk to each other, even though they're all standing with their wieners out. (laughs) (laughs) Tragedy of the whole situation. Yes, so I have no idea how I happened upon this movie, but it was one that we had on VHS. Mm -hmm. And so I watched it over and over and over again as kids do. What strikes me now as an adult is like how quiet it is, because that's not, I don't feel like that is super Mm -hmm. good for kids. Like, I feel like kids like when there's a lot happening all the time. So I don't even know how I 
fell in love with it when probably most of the other movies weren't like that. And it's kind of a slow independent movie for children. Yes. <laughs> it's not unlike Never Cry Wolf. Like the, these movies have a similar feel to each other. And there's like in both of them, I mean, I think more so in Never Cry Wolf because it is aimed more at adults. Yeah. At a certain point I was like, oh, here we come with some more strings. That's nice. Yes. The strings and the nature and the beauty of Ontario. Like, yes, we get it. But also like, I love that this was a flavor that was made available to children that was like, would you like to gently appreciate the beauty of Ontario? Because there were inevitably some kids, myself included, because I only saw this movie once, but I remember really liking it. I was like, yes, I would. Life is very stressful. I would like a movie that's just... Exactly. You know, I mean, and a lot of stuff happens eventually, but yeah, it starts so slow. And it lets itself start slow, which feels very ballsy mm. but that's also because i'm thinking of our current media landscape that i feel even has even less space for space mm-hmm. it's really funny to say it starts slow because it starts like 70 seconds in with matricide yeah well that's when you kill your mother so i don't know if you have theories about this but but the movie is killing its mother in a way yeah maybe <laughs> alex what was the thing you said about anna paquin's arc to avenge her mother's death she becomes a mother herself and then beats up a a ranger like that's how that's the natural arc of becoming a mother and to become a mother you have to beat up a ranger i think was the key to me is the key element there yeah to defend your children right we talked about guardians of the galaxy a while ago and that is another movie that is aimed towards children and in the first five minutes a mom dies Mm -hmm. and not just like is gone like she dies on screen which I feel like is an intense thing to offer to children so like how did you handle that one Mm -hmm. I feel like we were all trained by children's books and children's media to assume the mom is going to die in the first five minutes I mean there's so Mm -hmm. many movies and books where there's never been a mom where she dies real quick and she's like Mm -hmm. the root of everyone's trauma and problems for the entirety of the series or the movie Maybe not just mothers, parents dying. Mm. And I I wonder if this is also a storytelling device basically to circumvent the fact that, like, if there were a mom in the picture in most of these stories, she'd be like, no, you are not flying to North Carolina. (laughs) Whereas, like, the woman in this movie is Dana Delaney. He's like, well, I'm just your dad's girlfriend, so I guess you can do whatever. (laughs) I feel like that's part of it on, like, a very basic level. And also there's the fact maybe that You know, these children's narratives often are like literal adaptations of fairy tales or kind of have a fairy tale or a folklore quality to them. And that like these stories are kind of if you're going to tell a story about someone like self-actualizing and finding their way in the world, like the assumption a lot of people have is like kill the mother, which like maybe speaks poorly about like what people think of mothers mm-hmm. I mean that's why I love the honey I shrunk the kids is like they don't have to kill parents to change the yeah. kids perspective and to go like yeah they just make them real small <laughs> but at the same time also like I don't know how I feel like that's like a hard level of nuance to give to children to say like you have this new path that you need to figure out what's the most radical thing you can think of like the last radical thing that happened to me that I had to like work around was like yeah getting audited by the state you know like <laughs> I can't imagine, like, how do you, can like, the only thing to a kid that you can have for a frame of reference is, like, school goes away, I guess, or, like, your parents die, like, what are the, what are the big things? There's an apocalypse, you start dating a <laughs> yeah, vampire, you move. You're little. 
Yes. (laughs) There's also a parallel to E.T. because I love how this movie has a theme of like, don't trust the government. Yes. They'll interfere with your geese. (laughs) Yes. I was just thinking about how this movie makes like a cop-like figure. And the Queen of England, too. Yes. Yeah. She's hanging very conspicuously. <laughs> He's like Ranger Gord from the Red Green Show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised at how libertarian this movie is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, the cop-like figure is the Ranger, who starts out seeming nice, which I think is also interesting that, like, he has nice talking points, mm-hmm. but are his actions meeting the talking points, right? Not really. And then, yes, the Queen very prominently above the, like, developers that meeting that they go to Mm -hmm. it almost feels like the answer to a screenwriting problem because they're like we need someone who can do goose exposition and then he shows up and he's like well another wonderful thing about canada geese is that they do this and then he's like and now i'm evil and (laughs) it's like oh great so you used him for goose facts and then once you stop needing to do that you're like and he's also the secondary villain and the primary villain is developers and also time, the t- the ticking clock, yes. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I will say structurally, this does also follow Ghostbusters structure, whose primary villain is an EPA agent. So like this is <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> primary villain ghosts, the secondary villain EPA agent who's going to shut the whole thing down. Yeah, I do want to make an argument that what this guy is suggesting is not radical. What this guy yeah. is suggesting gets in the way of Anna Paquin's journey of becoming a mother and getting close to her dad. But he's trying to do minor surgery on geese so that they don't die or get tangled in power cords. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, but what he doesn't realize is that they're going to go, they have an emotional journey that they have to go on and he's interfering with that. And I think that the secondary implication there is that when this movie, the time that this movie is about... (laughs) is a time when Canada geese were becoming endangered. And Mm. so like the implication from that sort of messy environmental messaging that's going on in the movie is I think if he does this and doesn't let them try to save the Canada geese, then that he will be aiding in their extinction. Got it. That's interesting. How are Canada geese doing now? Absolutely fine. Fan-fucking-tastic. They're good. Oh, good. I see them everywhere. So, you know, not that my anecdotal evidence means anything, but, like... And then I was thinking, because at the end, there's a scene where, like, the geese, they return, you know, because they they come back in the spring, and she's like, my geese are back, and it's wonderful. And then I was like, do geese ever show affection to humans? Like, was there a producer on set who was like, "We we have to get a scene of the little girl hugging a goose? And then they, like got within a foot and the goose started hissing at her or something they must have been trained geese this time when i watched it i actually waited on to watch the full credits to see if it had one of those disclaimers about like no Mm -hmm. no animals were harmed in the making of this movie and not only did they have that they also had i mean of course they had i think the job was goose wrangler which i really enjoyed it makes them sound like they're like riding the geese around on a little saddle (laughs) exactly (laughs) Like those creatures in Star Wars. <laughs> and like I said, I was joking on Twitter, like the remarkable feat that this movie pulls off is making geese sympathetic. Nature's mm-hmm. m- meanest bird. I'm scared of geese. Like I'm not scared of very many animals, but I am scared of geese. Like Understandably. I have a friend 
who has guard geese that nest in the dirt in front of her door. And I remember one time I came, I came over to her house at night and I started walking to her door and these geese all went for me. And I was just like, this is terrifying. This is like the part in Casino where like Joe Pesci <laughs> lunges at you with a pen. <laughs> no, they are terrifying. They are. And I know that they're like not super nice birds. It's just they're really nice in the context of this movie. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they represent growth. <laughs> They represent beautiful things right. that happen. They represent fucking over a um, a developer, a series of developers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two very tidy occasions in which development was to start and stop by a particular time in which it could be intervened upon. That's that's very satisfying to watch happen. Very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And we have a device at the end, and maybe I don't understand this fully, but I think I do, where basically they're taking the geese to this wildlife preserve thing in North Carolina. And so they got to fly from Ontario to North Carolina. So the geese will follow them. It's very cute. Yes. But the guy whose land it is, is like, yeah, if I don't have any geese here, by November 1st, they're going <laughs> to develop this land. And you're like, wait, what? Like, did your lawyers figure this out? Is this like a law that like, if nary a goose is seen, <laughs> then the development shall begin. Like, how? <laughs> Is that what's happening? I think kind of. Because I love that as a device. That's what the deed says. It says if nary a goose is seen, that's exactly what it says. <laughs> and, and calligraphied letters. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure this out this time because, you know, as a kid, I never really paid attention to the whole, that whole situation. As a kid, you're like, yeah, yeah, this is what adults do. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They they talk about weird law things and edicts. But I think that what's actually happening there is that like it's land that you like being protected by the state government in some form to be a preserve. But because fewer and fewer birds showed up there, they could like stop earmarking it for that purpose. And Mm. so then developers like lobbied for that to happen and there was this, this is like the timeline according to which if no birds show up, then it's not earmarked for this anymore and the development can mm-hmm. go forward. I feel like that's a little unrealistic in the sense of how that works. Like there's probably a window where like paperwork has to be filed. It's not like they're sitting there with their mm-hmm. tractor. It's like not not just is there a timeline. There's like a Chekhov's bulldozer. And yes. it's just there like <laughs> w- ready to go potentially. And Anna Paquin has to literally swoop in. <laughs> But we first get to see a bunch of activists raise a power fist. Yeah, absolutely. This movie must have made so many queer environmentalists. Like, it had to have. It had to have. And it's such a great portrait of truly, like, the reality of America in the 90s, where they're like, well, I guess we're going to have to turn this wildlife preserve into a mini mall unless a courageous 14-year-old girl figures out herself (laughs) how to get some geese down here. And then she's like, here I am. Like, don't you just feel like everything in America is being done by 14-year-old girls lately? (laughs) Apparently since the 90s. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, Alana, like, really, what, why has this movie stuck with you? So, like, why is this a movie that, like, immediately, like, this is the one that I have to talk about? Well, okay, when the podcast name was still Wired Dads, I think it's pretty clear how Mm -hmm. (laughs) dad-ish this movie is, right? Like, it's all about, it feels to me like, What the movie does really well is even though it's in a very condensed timeline, of course, 
it allows for a complicated reconciliation between these two characters, right? Like it allows Anna Paquin to be mean to her dad without having any consequences for that. Like she's allowed to be mad at him Mm -hmm. for a while. And she's allowed to like think that this is a shitty situation that she's in and that her dad didn't visit her enough and that she's mad at him about it. And then she finds something to care Mm -hmm. about. Like you mentioned before, Sarah, that like, you know, this pulls her out of her grief, right? Or it's the thing that she's being distracted by or these geese. Mm -hmm. And when she needs her dad's like permission and he gives it and then he starts to help her, she still doesn't automatically totally forgive him. Like they still have that really good conversation Mm -hmm when they have to join the wild geese where she tells him like when he says New Zealand is really far away from Canada and that's why I didn't visit you. She's like, that's a really shitty excuse. Yeah. Especially since you have money. Right. Like, it's not like I could understand if he's like one of our oil field dads that we've been talking about and he's slugging away. Like this guy's selling dragons for like $200,000 sculptures that he's making for like a ton of money. (laughs) Which is another thing about this movie is that it is a movie in which there is a successful artist who makes money. Not one, Mm -hmm. two, two. Mm -hmm. Because her mom is also a successful artist who's been touring all over the world Mm -hmm. and taking Amy with her. So, like, another way this movie is weirdly trying to posit that, like, maybe artists and environmentalists have an important position in the world. I obviously didn't think of all of this when I was a kid. Like, this is only in hindsight Mm -hmm. as an adult that I'm realizing all of these messages. Well, I think Mindy Kaling has a thing in her first book about how bizarre it is that there's so many architects and romantic comedies because there's like 40 architects in the world and one of them is her dad or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's like there are these careers that I feel like exist the way they do only in movies. Mm-hmm. And like you don't see it so much now anymore, but like, I don't know, Sleepless in Seattle and 13 Going on 30 are great examples of just like there are so many female journalists in romantic comedies And I feel like it's just a fake career that you give a woman because you're like, I don't have to understand it. I know it means she can do weird experiments and travel and presumably gets paid a lot of money, which like maybe at one time that was true. I don't know. (laughs) But like there are jobs that like I think only exist in movies in a way that's like super great for your mental health and you get paid a lot for doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like professors too. Like just, I mean, yes. I was watching Indiana Jones to prep for another episode we're doing, and I was like, "This is the weirdest part of this whole movie—the way this guy's academic career is going." <laughs> totally. Yeah, the Da Vinci Code does that too. I was saying earlier that I was reading reading these like Vonnegut essays, and there was one about his dad who is an architect. So he, first of all, it's like one of those careers where it's like really, and then he's explaining to his he he quotes the letter that he wrote to his dad when he sold his first piece to a magazine. And when would when would have Vonnegut's first piece have been like the 40s or 50s? Yeah, probably the 40s. Yeah. And he got a promise of seven hundred and fifty dollars for that piece. And I'm like, so oh, this is just entirely in a magic reality. Like this man <laughs> got paid seven hundred and fifty dollars and he's telling his architect dad. <laughs> you can buy like a Packard car and a and a nice fur for your gal and tickets to the <laughs> to the ice follies. Probably, and a roast beef dinner at Mendy's. So did this movie trick you, Alana, into a successful career in the arts? <laughs> Like all of us? I don't think, I mean, again, I don't think that it was like, that I was conscious of it, but maybe it was one of the things that like gave me the audacity to like keep trying to be a writer. I don't know, that's totally possible. Mm. Yes. Yeah, because successful careers in the arts are like, 
astronomically rare in the sense of how how many humans get to have them and also what they look like because they never look like you were saying Sarah they never look like what they look like on TV mm. but I think that as a kid what just got me was all of the emotional hooks I mean this movie is so emotionally mm. well put together you know like I mean you're crying like every 15 minutes there's something like very emotionally the music swells every 15 minutes in a way that's like <gasps> <laughs> You know, <laughs> and they're like, would you like to cry now? This is a nice crying moment if you if you need one. And you're like, yeah, OK, exactly. Those geese are really cute. <laughs> She's learning to feel again. <laughs> yes, yes. Can we talk about the Dana character? Because I feel like she's yeah. just such a badass. Susan is her name in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. She's so great. Like she also this is a movie where women get to be mad at the main character, the main male character. Mm. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. They just get to be mad at him and they're not punished for it. Mm-hmm. Why is she mad at him? Why is why is Susan mad at him? I think because she thinks he's being an irresponsible dad well, yeah. and that he's like messing up. Right. And she's like, I'm not her mom, but I love you and you are my person and I can see how you're messing up and you got to try to do better. Right. Mm-hmm. The conundrum there is so interesting because like he has to make up for lost time and lost effort having his daughter fly in what is a very risk like an extraordinarily risky situation is like at once romantic but also unnecessary because like mm-hmm. this shouldn't be their circumstance <laughs> at all in the first place but as it's another grand gesture he's like we can fly the geese to north carolina and everything's going to be great and we'll be fine and she's you know and it, he's mm-hmm. in this impossible position with susan where she's rightfully like you need to try harder and then he tries by doing the one thing he knows how to do and she's like this ain't it like you gotta <laughs> mm-hmm. rightfully so like this ain't it <laughs> It really isn't. Well, one of the early scenes that I feel like to me expresses a lot is like, it's the day after she's found the eggs. So she comes home from school. She's like all excited about her eggs. And her dad's like, go, here's your uncle. Go to your homework inside. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. I have to go to a wetlands meeting right now. I'm talking this whole time. And she's like, no, please listen for one second about these eggs. And he's like, can't, no, March too important. Goodbye. You know, and it's like such a beautiful overt kind of depiction which like this happens all the time in real life where like they both care about the same thing ultimately like Mm -hmm. he cares about preserving this land and preserving the nature and the wildlife and she cares about these geese which are the wildlife but like as an adult I think you know you have to go to your meetings and you have to you know show up and yell at other adults and you can like become so consumed by that that you don't even see the geese in front of you (laughs) (laughs) And you're in conflict with your daughter, who you have essentially the same goal as, but you don't notice it at the time. This movie also conforms to... um the the like three dads are necessary to raise a child uh, trope that he brought up before because we start with one dad and then her uncle arrives and becomes dad number two and then Barry arrives and becomes like big brother ish cute guy mm-hmm. dad number three 
It's like literally the full house thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And Barry's a strange, like, I don't know when they were writing that, why they were like, we need Barry. Like Barry's kind of the weakest link and I'm glad that he's there. Yes. But like, how the fuck did, how did they decide that they needed Barry? He makes Amy laugh. Right. He make. I feel like he's there to be a big brother figure for the adults and a crush for the children. Because he's cute. He's really Mm. cute. He is. And he's 90s. He's mid 90s cute, too, with that mane. They're like, we got to get a male in here who's not Jeff Daniels or his brother. Yes. Yeah. I also I appreciate about this movie that like I was thinking as I finished it, I was like, she never had a love interest in that. They just were like, nope. Doesn't matter, not relevant. Because, like, mm-hmm. and then also, even the fact that we see her talking to some kids at school at one point, and we don't really know how that's going, but like, it's not about her like coming out of her shell and like learning to make friends and settling into the community. Like, we have no idea. Like, it's possible she hasn't done that at all yet. And I think, like, as a kid who really struggled with other people, like, I think I wish I'd seen this as an adolescent closer mm-hmm. to the age of Anna Paquin's character because I feel like it's meaningful validation, I think, as an adolescent to be told, like, you don't have to have other people figure it out yet to be well-adjusted. Like, you can do this great project with geese or something like that. Like, maybe mm-hmm. you're ready for a relationship with some little little baby geese. Maybe you're ready for that. <laughs> yeah, and you can have, like, your passion project and you're allowed to be really into it. And like that doesn't mean that you're yeah. that you're broken. You just at the geese phase. Mm-hmm. That's not like an objective of hers, right? But as far as wish fulfillment goes, a scene in which you are flying, you're liberating yeah. all of your babies in front of the school, and yes. the kids go, "There she goes!" and they all get up and they disrupt class, yeah, that's and they true. go to the window and they watch her be a hero. <laughs> that's the scene that made me cringe most this time. Oh, I loved it. Which is also like a, a, such an egregious moment because it's also like we just pulled a fast one on Ranger Gord and now we are going to strafe the classroom. We apparently know <laughs> Ranger Gord is inside of right now. Yeah, it's great. To, just to say fuck you to yes. Ranger Gord. <laughs> it's scrumptious. It's, it's the only way it can be described. <laughs> like they're going to go to Canadian jail when they get back. Which I assume is very nice. Oh, totally. <laughs> why didn't they go to Canada? Like, they had two other stops in Canada. Like, why didn't they go to Canadian jail initially? They stopped several <laughs> times. <laughs> because everyone keeps protecting them. There's the old lady with the gun. She's got a gun. She's going to protect them from the Canadian Rangers. <laughs> They're like, we're crossing over into the US of A where the old ladies have guns. <laughs> yes. And where the apparently the Air Force is really nice. So nice. Yeah. Okay. That part feels the weirdest of everything. And you, I feel yeah, like yeah. maybe there are some rewrites happening there where like... You're going along and you're like, yes, we are libertarian Canadians in this movie. Fuck capitalism, but also kind of fuck the crown also. Just fuck everyone. Save your geese. And then it's like, but you know who's nice? The U.S. Air Force. They're terrific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a little suspicious. It, it does feel a little like, is this is this Canadians not wanting to piss off the U.S.? Yeah. Or, or was there... Someone from the Pentagon who was like, you have to change this. Is it ultimately an American film being like, we got to distract from from the aroma of Canada wafting off this whole thing? Oh, maybe. (laughs) Mm, Maybe it's more that. (laughs) 
so this is interesting. They do the Air Force thing, and the Air Force is initially very scared and very mad. And then they're like, you're so cute. We love all your geese. Your geese are so cute, even though geese are not cute when they're adults. Whatever. They're like, yay, we love the little girl and her wonderful geese. And they send them on their way. And then that's how she becomes a news story, which pays off as a device when you have the, all the protesters down at the goose facility and, you know, kind of trying to stop the bulldozer before the, the geese come in and save the day. So that all makes sense. Right. I was I was doing some deep research on IMDb. <laughs> and it said that this, I think the release of this movie was delayed because of the death of Jessica Dubrow, whose name I hope I'm saying right, who was a seven-year-old girl who died in an attempt made by her and her dad, unclear on the percentages of intent there, to make her like the youngest aviator ever to cross to make a coast-to-coast flight across the United States and like she wasn't even apparently really flying the plane most of the time because you're not you can't be a pilot when you're seven legally it was followed very intensely by the media and got a lot of attention wow and then they died apparently because the adult who was piloting the plane decided to take off in bad weather like people always do as far as I can tell and so they were like oh shit maybe we should like (laughs) Be a little thoughtful about releasing this property that is fundamentally about the power of underage aviation to bring dads and daughters together, and also mm-hmm. how the media is an unalloyed good. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie, it's, so it's based on real experiments, right? So there was an actual mm-hmm. guy who did this with airplanes and geese. And he had two sons and apparently they were grown sons already. And so, and he was kind Mm -hmm. of this madcap inventor. And so like when, I guess when they bought the IP or however they decided to make this movie to write around it, they had to bring in way more emotion because they clearly wanted to make it a kid's movie. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so they, I feel like part of it is also that that moment with the air force is like, what you think is going to be the most dangerous moment, right? This is like, oh my God, Mm. this is going to be the worst. And then they're like, psych. And then the worst moment is, of course, when her dad's shoulder goes out and she Mm. has to go alone. But it's, I feel like the, Mm -hmm. all of the little obstacles along the way is very much to make up for the fact that the first half of the movie is kind of quiet and allows itself to take its time. And then it's like, oh, we need things to happen to make sure that this is exciting Mm -hmm. and has a good climax. Mm. So much of what we've talked about in the history of this show is about, how we feel about the ways that our parents have had many shortcomings in one way or another and in deciphering that and unpacking that Mm -hmm. this was a movie largely because it's a kid's movie probably but like I had so much sympathy for the dad in this case more than I normally do for Mm -hmm. folks because I'm like you know often again we're talking about like how are we hurt like what happened how does how has that impacted us and in this case I'm like how does a parent not be a fuck up like how Mm -hmm. if you are inexcessible if you're an artist and you're devoted and obviously her mother in this case was an artist or how it's presented and she found a way for it to work but it seems so easy to become Jeff Daniels in this movie where you're an artist and you're self-obsessed and and like he says that the, he and the wife had conversations about is like you can be selfish as a result of that it should never come down to you have to have a grand gesture where you put your daughter's life at risk as a means of connecting with her for making up for lost time but I understand how people get to lost lost time Mm -hmm. like I get it and this movie does a a great job of humanizing the person for the lost time without forgiving them I don't think this movie is like 
it's okay, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we get it. I mean, shit happens. Dads disappear for 14 years. Yeah, and I think it's pretty realistic. I mean, there, there's a lot of beautiful wish fulfillment in here, but it's pretty realistic about kind of how people get to that kind of an outcome. Like, how do you bond with a dad who, like... Because the thing about... To me, the thing about Jeff Daniels' dad character in the kind of opening third of this movie is that it, like, does not seem to occur to him to just spend time with his daughter. And she's mm-hmm. obviously putting up a lot of walls, and, you know, he's feeling rejected, I assume, and... That's difficult, but also he's just always off doing something, just building mm-hmm. another dragon or whatever he does. And also I was like, so her first morning there at his house in rural Ontario, she wakes up and he's got this glider, and which for Jeff Daniels stunt double, they used the actual real life goose guy, the father goose. Oh, great. And she wakes up and she sees him like run off a hill and then he goes gliding through the sky in his glider and then he lands and he's like, isn't it impressive that I can fly? And she's like, no, basically. And it was like, what a great thing to do to your child who just lost one parent <laughs> in an accident. <laughs> exactly. Because it definitely seems like he's hurt at the beginning. And like, of course, she's freaking out. But what what do you do? Like what? I mean, we're not going to figure this out, I'm sure. But like, what do you do when you're Jeff Daniels? You have not been present for 13 or 14 years Mm -hmm. for some understandable reasons, some totally not understandable reasons. And then you have to actually become a parent and figure out how to become a parent. Like, will it just always be that you're out of sync forever or what concessions does it take? I mean, obviously I don't expect this 14 year old to make or 13 at at the time to make these, to make these concessions. But like, it seems like to meet, each other at some point eventually like you have to make some concessions and understand how fucked the foundation of the relationship is outside of a grand gesture how do you make it right geese geese <laughs> yes geese exactly this is geese. what the movie teaches us really <laughs> i was thinking about how when i was watching it this time i realized suddenly oh shit i'm much closer to jeff daniel's character's age and susan's age than I am Tana Paquin's mm. age. Like they, the implication to me at least is that like Jeff Daniels and Amy's mother had her when they were pretty young. And so what, he might be 35, 36, maybe 37, 38, but still like I'm much closer to mm-hmm. that now. And I think one of the ways that you deal with it is you get all of your friends into your house, people who That's what he seems to be doing is like, let me get my brother Mm. here. Let me get my girlfriend to stay with us for a while. Let me get my other random friend, not only to stay for coffee and to help me work, but to stay and help me parent this child. I do not understand how to parent. And like as an adult, I'm like, well, isn't it actually good to ask for help from your friends if they're like good people and willing to help out? Like from an adult perspective, that actually is kind of nice. I hope for my kid's sake, there's a community. Yeah. Right. And isn't it also interesting? Because this is the exactly the full house configuration, mm-hmm. right? You get like three guys who add up to one, most of a dad at least, you know? And you have one woman figure as a token. Yeah. And you have like a nice lady who kind of, but also who isn't, you know, legally and doesn't have to answer for you. And once again, it's interesting and disturbing to me that like this seems like a healthier mode of raising kids than like two parents having a relationship with each other, 
with varying degrees of bitterness and grudgery, and no other adults are able to have a say ever again, certainly not disinterested ones, unless they're judges or cops. Like, I was raised that way, and I don't think that was great. And it's just, again, it's so weird that, like, we only get to this utopian vision, at least as far as the 90s is concerned, by killing off a parent and then having to replace them with a bunch of other Randys. Mm -hmm. Well, and it also also reiterates or shines light on the fact that sometimes you can only have a relationship with the part of the person that's available to have a relationship with. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only part of Jeff Daniels that's available is the inventor and he's able to find love through the inventor, Mm -hmm. but like he has, it has to be accessed on the inventor nature interest place. Yes. And then you can find the rest. But like, I think we mostly, we, we largely feel aggrieved that we can't have a whole relationship with the whole person. And like, I don't know that we Mm -hmm. can do that with anyone. Right. Or that we can have a relationship with a parent without going through the part that they're like, you can have a relationship with me if you meet me in my comfort zone. And maybe you got, I don't know who you might be. I, hypothetically, you might get locked into a phase of being like, no, like you have to like leave your comfort zone to prove that you love me. Right. And then right. years pass and you're like, oh, you can't. Right. <laughs> the situation is that you can't. Mm-hmm. And I have to stop resenting you enough or fall in love with geese and be motivated <laughs> by my deep love of my geese to the point that we have to collaborate on something. And then I enter your realm and you're like, oh, you have to learn to to love and, and pilot flying machines, little girl. Well, I have just the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she has to like become a mother in order to grieve her own mother and that she has to become a mother in order for her dad to be able to relate to her. Is he also fixing his relationship with his wife somehow? Yeah. By like being with Amy for the whole kitten caboodle of raising these geese and helping them get south. Mother and father goose. Father and daughter. Weird. Right. It is weird. Just for reference, if you haven't seen this movie, their code names are mother and father goose and they are father and daughter and then they will later co-parenting geese together co-parenting geese, and then they will later go on to the squid and the whale where they will have a, a sexual relationship okay so you know how amazon when you watch something on it it shows you who the actors are in each scene yeah apparently gives you little factoids about them so in the first scene with anna paquin yeah. and jeff daniels there was a little factoid about how when they were in the squid and the whale and doing the sex scene together jeff daniels said that apparently they had to work very hard to not think about the you know geese yeah like i didn't need to know that honestly no like they should put that in the end credits if anywhere (laughs) like get it together amazon of all things this is what really pushes it over the line (laughs) now thinking about it i find it an uncomfortable fact about like the lifespans of uh actresses mm-hmm. versus actors if we're going to talk about that yeah because this was nine years after fly away home so like as an actress you know the ages are like teenage goose girl sexy graduate student and then you know as goldie Hawn put it in first wives club babe district attorney and driving miss daisy right i would say that there's <laughs> teen goose girl sexy grad student and driving miss daisy i would modify it to that and for jeff daniels you just continue to be jeff daniels he has been jeff daniels since 1981 and he's barely aged and it's very strange (laughs) i mean he has aged but he just still gets to keep having sex with people is another thing 
Yes. That's not fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm, Jeff Daniel should play characters who have sex, but so should women for 40 year spans of their careers. That's what I'm saying. Yes. It's like the criticism that happens about how Marissa Tomei plays Spider-Man's old aunt, like in the Spider-Man movies. Like that's supposed yeah. to be like an old lady. Aunt May, famously not keeping it tight. Right. According <laughs> exactly. to canon. Exactly. I don't, and I don't want to take away from those like important criticisms, but I would say if I were a filmmaker and trying to grow you out about the inappropriate relationship between Jeff Daniels and a grad student, I would make it his daughter from a previous movie. <laughs> it's like <laughs> such a sneaky trick. Right. Like, Noah Baumbach's mother didn't raise any fools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, though, Alex. I hadn't thought about that. That it might have been deliberate. Who knows if they were trying, but... Maybe it's something where you're just, you have like a few casting choices and you're like, oh, well, if we do this, it'll be really creepy. So let's do it. We like them both anyway. (laughs) Speaking of creepy. So when I was a child and I watched this movie, Anna Paquin was the character I had a crush on, Mm. right? And so rewatching this movie as an adult, and I really hadn't seen it in so many years before I showed it to my partner last year and watched it as an adult for the first time. And it, it just shocked me how much of a child she is in this movie. Like I was shocked by how young she looks because as a kid, I was like, this is the cool teenager that I have what I, as again, as an adult recognized as a crush at the time, just thought like, Oh wow, she's so cool and so pretty, you know? And now as an adult, like, I mean, I feel very relieved that I don't have the same reaction. But That's always reassuring. You know, it is just sort of shocking how young she looks. Like, perspective is is an insane thing. It's just so wild. I mean, that's how I always feel when I watch Dead Poet Society, because I watched mm. that movie, like, grillions of times when I was... I don't know, between 8th grade and 12th grade. So, like, younger than or around the ages of the actors in that movie. And there's never a time in childhood or adolescence where I remember thinking to myself, like, I am a kid. Right. And I should go easy on myself. And these adults should go easy on me. I was always like, yeah, I'm 15. And I'm the oldest I've ever been. And I I know the most of, of, you know, any amount I've ever known. And I guess I have things figured out. Like, you've never felt more adult than you feel at some random point in high school, if you, you know, if that's Mm -hmm. the oldest that you've ever made it to so far. And so I remember just watching that movie and being like, yeah, like I'm an adult and these kids are adult and we're basically adults. Like we're teens, but like, we're just like young adults. And I watch that movie now and I'm like, oh my God, they're babies, they're children. Like, I hope they're not keeping them up too late. I hope they're sleeping (laughs) enough. Are they hydrating? Like, you know, are they dressed appropriately for the weather? <laughs> Something yes. that it didn't occur to me when I was a teenager and regularly envisioned having re- like relationships with fully grown adults. And I was like, that's not that creepy. Like, I'm ready for that. And it's like, yeah, teenagers think that about themselves because they're teenagers. Right. Exactly. That's why the Barry thing was so weird to watch this time because when I was a kid I was jealous of him because it, mm. I thought it was obvious that Amy had kind of a crush on him, you know, <laughs> cuz he like helps her put her fake nose ring in and stuff. And then now as an yeah. adult I'm like, "Oh, he so sees her as like his kid sister. Like he's not being creepy right. or inappropriate at all. He's right. being very appropriately like, "I am a man and you are a child." <laughs> 
which again, I'm relieved, but it's just weird to see that different, the different levels of reading through that relationship. It's like the relationship between Natalie Portman and the man whose name I don't know in Bye Bye Love. Like she's like, she's like, no, Bye Bye Love. Whoa, whoa, wrong movie. Wrong movie. The Professional? No, no, Beautiful Girls. Uh, Beautiful Beautiful Girls. girls? Like she's like 13 and thinks that she can steal this guy away. And she's like, why don't you come with me? And you can, she's kind of joking, but you know, she has no frame of reference for whether or not she's joking. And he's just like, Mm -hmm. well, you're 13 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thankfully, he does not do that. And then you have like other people who are like federal judges in Alabama or whatever it is who are just like, listen, these 14 year old girls, they want to go out with me. And it's like, yeah, of course, they're stupid. You're an adult. Like you're the one who's responsible for shutting that down legally for a reason. (laughs) And what's most shocking to me is how as a child, you just see yourself as like pretty mature and capable and you don't look at other kids and see them as like really vulnerable and floppy and tiny. You're just like, yes, hello, another contemporary. We can handle anything. (laughs) Hello, contemporaries. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why kids can also hurt each other real bad, right? Because, like, they're acting as people who are fully committed to the actions they're doing in the moment that they're doing them. And they Mm. might well feel regret and guilt later. But, like, like adults, they make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes really hurt other people. And it doesn't make them bad children. It makes them children who do sometimes bad things. Yeah. This one's for the kids who sometimes do bad things. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Yes. You two are good. Yeah, you are. You are good. When this movie was being pitched, I'm sure that the conversation was had of like, listen, we need Free Willy, but for horse girls. But maybe girls who are afraid (laughs) to get all the way onto a horse. (laughs) I I wouldn't get on a horse, but I would get in the sky. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, a horse is maybe too much like a vehicle, but a, a small craft airplane, that's very safe. It seems so peaceful. Especially if it's like really light and probably not even an airplane and just has a fan in the back like those boats they use to avoid hurting manatees. <laughs> I, as a child, so wanted to get in one of those planes, though. Like, I wanted to yeah. fly those damn planes. They look so fun. I like the idea of like free willy for the sky very much. And like as a metaphor, like learning to fly, Mm. like there's no better way of pursuing liberation than leaving the ground. I love that. Mm -hmm. And also fleeing your grief. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't do a Tom Petty soundtrack. Isn't that, Mm. isn't learning to fly a Tom Petty song? They should have. Yeah. Well, they could only afford that Mary Chapin Park Carpenter song. Yes. That's the perfect explanation of this movie is that it's a children's movie for which a Mary Chapin Carpenter song was commissioned (laughs) as the theme. And they were like, yeah, this will put kids in those seats. (laughs) Wonderful song. It's a wonderful song. It's so beautiful. It's no Michael Jackson Free Willy song. I will for kids as far as getting kids in the car in the seat. I mean, I guess thank God for that at this point. Dodged a bullet there. Something that has been positive sort of like, I guess, exposure therapy for me as an adult, as someone who had a dad who like never wanted to explain anything nicely to me as far as I can remember, because I feel like it became this thing of like, now I know how to use the screwdriver. And if you learn how to use the screwdriver, then I'll become redundant and we can't have that. So I have to like scare you away. from learning how to use a screwdriver by making this really unpleasant. 
And then it was like that for everything else. Mm. And so it's like positive therapy for me to just like have really anyone, like I was going to say kind of like sort of dadly types, but I mean, anybody like nicely explain to me how to do something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's part of this movie too, where like in order for her to fly, like her dad has to teach her to fly and he has to be both like nice about it and also like genuinely believe that she's capable of it, which I think he does. And I think that's one of his gifts as like a nutty inventor, Rick Moranis, Maurice type. He's like, oh yeah, of course she can fly. Like I'm dumb enough to perceive the truth about my child. And if I understood parenting more, I would be like, wait, what? This could be bad. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's like, it's the fact that he has been absent that allows him to treat her like an equal when Hmm. when he can. I mean, he also does sort of set some boundaries with the like, when there's the one scene that teaches us that he's setting boundaries when he's like, take here your shoes, here's your book bag, go to school, you're going to school, you have to go to school. And she actually listens to him. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're given cues that he is trying to set some boundaries. But yeah, but it's the distance and the fact that like he isn't perceiving her entirely as a child that also allows him to like allow her to fly. That's kind of what I was getting at a little uh, earlier or trying to get at earlier with regard to like only forming a relationship with the part of the parent you can form a relationship with is like sometimes the parent's deficiencies are things that enable other strengths that you don't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily identify so like sometimes when parents aren't great at parenting in a traditional sense they inadvertently (laughs) treat their children like human beings (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Or when they're not in their own way in specific ways. When they're the type of person that that designs very elegantly and interestingly designed refrigerators that are also extremely wasteful and free on. And what's unfortunate is that refrigerator was one of the main things I remembered about this movie <laughs> from when I was a kid. I was like, well, I remember he has a really cool fridge. Yes. Yeah, and then as an adult, you're like, Jeff. Do you care about the environment, like you say? Mm-hmm. Because this fridge design does not tell me that. Jeff, there's a hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I think they must have included in the movie because the guy who was a, the original guy who did the experiment with the geese was like, maybe he made them, or they just thought it was too cool to not include. What the fuck is up with that Moonlander? <laughs> Is it just a device to get money? Like, why? And what does he mean by exact replica? I hear he has a wife and mayor's income in Tennessee. (laughs) Yeah, and I thought that it was small. I didn't realize that it's apparently to scale. Right. But also exact replica, like it has the controls inside. Like, is it usable or is it just on the outside an exact replica? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, where do you get all that stuff before the Internet? (laughs) That's a whole other question. In Canada. (laughs) I feel like this is also kind of, they must have put this in screenwriting books in the 90s. They were like, if you need someone to show up and give a character a lot of money, write in some Japanese businessmen, because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. They did. A lot. A lot. (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, this movie is also incredibly white. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think, like, except for the final moment where they, like, reach North Carolina. Yes. And they're like, oh, and then there are some black people who see the goose, and they're like... Look at that goose. I That's a big goose. Yes. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It, because it takes place in such a white universe, it's funny to imagine them being like, there's that white girl and a goose. Like, what's happening here? Why is this happening? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> 
we can say with confidence that Jeff Daniels, with help of a lot of his friends, is the father in this movie. Who is the daddy? So I have two ideas for this. I think the one I would prefer probably and take more seriously is that Susan is the daddy because she Hmm. tries constantly to rein in Jeff Daniels, but also once she's committed to like helping out with his nutty scheme, she's there all the way. And also because she also knows how to weld and that's just really sexy. Yes. Um, And my less serious one is the Birdman, the guy who like, the grandest gesture of the entire movie gives them a place where they can bring the damn geese forever and ever because they'll also come back there next year. So both of those are candidates. They're both pretty great. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned there's a bird pro that ended up facilitating this deal. He was great. Who sits down in front of a tractor. He does. He does. very, (laughs) very stern. I would say the daddy is Igor because he gets to ride in the plane. He's got it all figured out. Oh, Igor. Igor. So, okay, we have a dog named Wheezy. Mm-hmm. And we were telling one of Carolyn's friends about this older woman who was a friend of Carolyn's about Wheezy. And the, the woman got very upset and was like, by naming your dog Wheezy, y- you could give the dog a complex. <laughs> and the dog established, this is very serious. It's hilarious, but very serious. Like, it could, but you it don't could, spell it with an H, though. Did you tell her that you don't? It's not wheezy. Right. It's wheezy, like Louise. No, it's not. But but apparently, in this in this logic, it doesn't matter. She's she's worried that wheezy could develop some confidence issues or whatever. I really think that how you spell something affects things, but I guess I would think that. I was always a good speller. I agree. But the reason we bring this up is because there's a bird named Igor. Mm-hmm. Yes. What does she go- what's she going to name it? Gimpy or something like that. And then he says, in a way that I think is also really nice, it's like an adult trying to steer a child away from an offensive name, is like, well, you know, yeah. but then you might give him a complex. How about something strong like John or Thor or ooh, I know, Igor. Yeah. Why e- why did we settle on Igor Igor? historically in literature. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes. Because you're saying that that accomplishes the same thing as the name he was trying to steer her away from. Yes. Yes. It, he <laughs> yes, kind of exactly. went in a circle. <laughs> it feels like a compromise, maybe, where it's like, let's not, let's say a name that to us alludes to the goose um, and what we know about him, but maybe the goose can't hear us saying that is his whole name. Igor is the scientist, right? He's the lab assistant. He's the one who walks this way. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. And I think he's mainly in The Bride of Frankenstein. And then really, I feel yeah. like most people know him from Young Frankenstein, where it's Igor. Like, I can't I can't believe they didn't name this goose Igor. That's what's offensive to me, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Man, I don't even know who I would say is the daddy in this movie at all i mean this i don't know like there's not there's it's it is one of those situations mm-hmm. where you have to add up everyone's competence to get one competent human i mean anna paquin really is the most competent by far because yes. she's a yeah. child and she has a lot of clarity of purpose and she's like okay we got to do this we got to do that and i gotta hit this representative of the law with this popcorn ball like <laughs> not a ball a popcorn bowl that was an amazing moment <laughs> A little touch of violence. But it's so yes. satisfying, the <laughs> so, noise it makes. It's like a gong. Yes. I'm going to take your answer for my answer, as she is the daddy. You can say Amy's popcorn bowl <laughs> if you want to get really specific. 
I think in the in the end, it's nice to see Jeff Daniels' incompetent brother step up by becoming a, a terrorist, yes. cracking locks off of state property. Oh yes, yes, and describing a weird bald critter. Yeah, he's the one who does the the goose liberation scheme. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He becomes Earth first, which I like a lot. Where can people find you if they want to get more of your smarts and hearts? Oh, I like that. Smarts and hearts. Very nice. <laughs> they can find great. me at my website, which is ilanamassad.com or on Twitter at Ilana Slightly <laughs> or on TikTok also at Ilana Slightly. Slightly embarrassingly, but still there. Your TikTok content's great. I love your t- I see you every day. I learn a new thing about you on TikTok every day. TikTok does know that we're friends because it shows me your videos literally every day, too. So it's figured it out. We better catch these two up immediately. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But Alex, you had a TikTok recently that I really loved that was you responding to someone saying that you could not possibly be in your 30s, (laughs) which is like, oh, sweetie, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I feel like you essentially were like, this is 30s. Yes. <laughs> yes, totally. Funny thing, and this is you know, this is to your interest, Sarah, is what became evident is I believe the, the actual confusion was this person does not know what 30-something means, which, of course, we know what it means. It's, I don't know. I think it's yeah. pretty self-explanatory, 30-something. I think, I think so, too, but... This is see. This is what we do all day yeah. on TikTok: is go, what's happening with these children? <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to "You Are Good." Thank you to Alana Massad for being on the show. It was a delight. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing each of our episodes and for making the show sound so great. Carolyn, we are deeply indebted to you. We appreciate you. You can find Carolyn, carolynkendrick.com. You can find Carolyn on social media, on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can find uh, her music, which a lot of people ask about on a regular basis. You can find her music at carolynkendrick.com. Like I said, thank you so much to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that appear on our show. We appreciate you, Lesh. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. Thank you for following us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for following me on TikTok, LOL. And oh, and thank you if you are a person who supports us on Patreon. We appreciate that. If you're able to do so, thank you so much. Bonus episodes galore. Conversations, big fun. It's a fun place to hang out as far as I'm concerned. All right. I think that's all you need from us. Big geese day over here. You are good, huh? Big geese day.